Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Had a fun time tonight. Ghost Talking about photography. Ghost photography. It's always fun to come back to this. I know we... I know we uh, we're always trying to talk. You know, we'll find interesting things to talk about for the show and expose you guys to different things. Because um, we we knew even since the old days um, that we really wanted to explore different topics that we found strange and interesting, right? But it's always good to come back to what I think. I know for me personally, what got me into this stuff and the reason that I do ghostly talk now was ghost photography, spirit photography, seeing all these really super interesting pictures. Um, and I'll, I'll preface I'll, I'll also say that some were hoaxes, right? But they were nonetheless fascinating to look at and make you wonder about things. Uh, and so it's good to come back to a subject like this. And it's pretty inspiring, at least to me, actually. I love talking about this subject. And we don't talk about it enough, I don't think. Well, it makes, like, that was the first thing I ditched when I was doing... I think it was the first thing I did too. Investigation, because I was like, "This isn't. I'm no. This is. There's too many errors that show up. I, I'm not a professional photographer. I can't. I mean, I learned a lot about photography because of ghost hunting. Yeah. And I definitely picked up on the fact that a lot of orbs that showed up in my photos, like back going in back in the cemeteries back in the day, were just dust and moisture yeah, and mess. water. And it was a mess. And then you'd see something weird, and then later on you'd learn like, ah, oh, it's a m- mosquito. And, like, that just kind of got old. And then, you know, sometimes I would get the occasional photo where you were like, that's sort of weird. Like, there's no room for reflection there. I I have a photo of just a blue, solid blue. It's my only good orb photo I like. And it's a solid blue orb just hovering above an old Civil War tombstone. You know, it's not one of these granite tombstones that's shiny. There's no reflective surface. And that one it was always really interesting. I remember getting it because it's 35 millimeter. Yeah. So I remember go, having to go drop it off at, uh, you know, the store, wait like two to three days. God. And then oh my God. get your, get your photo, fo- you know, throw 20, 20 some bucks at your photos, oh knowing that God. most of them are just going to be stupid. Garbage. Oh, I have so many of those. And still. Uh, yeah, I just went through those when I organized all your photos uh, during COVID. Um, I know. I was just one. It's, photo of grass after yeah, another. Yeah, people's legs, butts, just weird. Well, yeah. Lots of butts. Yeah, well, not intentionally. It's just trying yeah. to get something. How but do you know? Oh, I well, I it was Scott Benkowski's butt. Your your former drummer in your band. Yeah, old band. You took yeah. pictures of his butt. I mean, yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> okay, it was a long time ago. My memory's not that good anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I occasionally too remember like when I got involved in this, it was oh look for the orb photos. And you want to get those apparition photos and, and get those mist photos. They call them mists. I don't mists. know if you remember that. Ectoplasmic mists. Yeah. No, and and I'm, take the ectoplasmic. That's, that's a, that's, I'm just joking around. But no, it was called that, though. People called like, it People did call it that. Yeah, they did. I know. So, well, it's not real. And that's often real. it was breath. It was cigarette smoke because yeah. every ghost hunter in the early 2000s smoked. <laughs> and so it was hard to get away they from still the- do. <laughs> Yeah, they still do. <laughs> they still do. What are you talking about? You go to any paranormal conference. That's where everybody's at. <laughs> so it's like any local local yeah. show I'm around. Everybody's outside smoking yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. So anyway, uh, and I am I do remember seeing some of those early mist photos that were like that's. I know maybe I'm matrixing and my brain's looking for something very familiar, but wow, yeah, yeah. how did that just all come together to make 
that face like that looks really really convincing so i don't know and so we had tim scullion on tonight and yeah really cool talking to he's tim. published a lot of books on his ghost photography because he got involved well, breakthrough the, the title the, the well the main hook is breakthrough ghost photography uh, but yeah, go ahead, Amber. And he got involved because he was a historical tour guide over he in is. Colonial Still Williamsburg. Is. And they said, hey, do you want to take over some of the ghost tours? He was a skeptic, but thought, eh, yeah, why not? And rest is history. He started getting strange things on his phone. And of course, we referenced that that was around 2011. Yeah. And phones uh, have come a long way since a long way. 2011. And I think it's only going to get better for people that are interested in taking pictures of you know, anomalous activity out there. So Tim Scullion is a published author, musician, and photographer with a bachelor's and master's in education from the College of William and Mary. Tim released the first of a new series of books featuring paranormal photography in the fall of 2016, the world's first photographic study of ghosts taking over two years and over 10,000 photographs, the best of which were chosen, chosen for a book released by Schiffer Publishing called Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg, Williamsburg mm-hmm. Virginia with Breakthrough Ghost Photography. And uh, his most recent one just came out in July. And I wrote down the title. And this one is Breakthrough Ghost Photography of Haunted Historic Virginia. And that was just released uh, last month. So you can, we'll have all those links. Uh, the the so photos. We're on a fourth book right now, too. Yeah, the photos that we're talking about. And I know this kind of probably doesn't work well for our format of podcast. Like, well, because we're, we don't have a YouTube at, you know thing, so you can look at the photos. But we do have the photos on the website. Yeah, we're going to have them on the show. So if you guys. listen to the show or you want to go to the website Ghostlytalk.com. first. And look at the photos before you listen to the show. Or look at them while you're listening to the show. Just stare at them. Just stare. Just gaze into your phone. Just gaze into them. Gaze into your smartphone. (laughs) Just gaze into it. Your laptop or your tablet. Or whatever, whatever. Whatever you're using. Your crystal ball. Whatever you're using. It don't matter. Please, please, please enjoy a fascinating conversation we had with Tim Scullion. First up, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again for taking some time to come talk to us tonight. We really appreciate you taking some time. I know you're busy with tours and stuff like that, and we're recording this kind of at a late hour, so I appreciate you uh, being able to come here and have a conversation with us. How are you tonight? I am well, and don't worry about it. I am a night owl, and I'm up all hours of the night because I'm a ghost hunter. <laughs> it feels like that. I mean, and I know, you know, it's funny because I remember when I was younger, we did, and we were very, very active in the field. That's kind of how it was for us too. Um, we didn't really keep any. You didn't really sleep. You slept. Sleeping was a part of your day. It was like another activity. I always thought that I had to do. It wasn't like something that was separated from all the other stuff I did. It was something that was just another activity I had within my day. I think. <laughs> when you, when do you agree? Sure. <laughs> I, I'm right with you on that one. It's just something you got to get done along with everything else. Now, 
you have a series of books that you're wor- that you're working on presently. Um, and I do want to start with Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, with Breakthrough Ghost Photography, and that's the title of the book, right? That's the first book. Um, that's the first one, yes. Yeah. What I want to ask you, well, I mean, because we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about a lot of photos, and we're gonna be looking at a lot of photos here tonight. Um, I just want to find out initially, like, what got you started with this project? Like, what sparked your interest in in spirit photography? Yeah, spirit photography of this sort. <laughs> I know I tore that one up. Well, it was quite it was quite by accident that I came into this because I was a non-believer in ghosts, and what I was doing at the time, and this is about a decade ago, I was giving daytime historic tours of Colonial Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And the company that I worked for, they said, hey, would you like to give ghosts to us? And I really didn't because I didn't believe in ghosts. I'd never had a paranormal experience before, so why should I? Mm-hmm. But they said, uh, it's, you make a lot of extra money. So I said, you know, everybody needs extra money. Okay, sign me up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started taking large groups, you know, 25 to 30 people through Colonial Williamsburg, and I was giving them my scripted stories at each stop. And usually I would see people photographing the place, usually hoping to get something paranormal on their camera. And about two and a half weeks into it, a lady turned around with her camera and marched it right over under my nose and said, look what I got. (laughs) And I did, and it was a full-body apparition of a ghost. Now, I had been looking at that place, and I didn't see anything with my naked eyes, and yet she had it on her cell phone. So can you say skeptical about your skepticism? Yeah. So that's when I I started thinking about that, and it happened a few more times the rest of the summer. And again, this wasn't with any type of predictability or regularity, but it happened. And I saw people capture something on their cell phones till by the end of the summer, I'm a full-on believer in ghosts. So that said, I have professional photographic equipment. What I decided to do was to get down to Colonial Williamsburg after the touring season, and I was going to go to all the places that I had seen people capture something on a cell phone. And by the way, cell phone cameras in 2011 were not that good. No. So I thought I was going to be able to get something a whole lot better with professional equipment so that said the first night out i didn't capture one thing and i was really i was bummed out and so it took me about six and a half weeks before i came back and gave it another try that night i got something and after that first ghost photo i was hooked now and you were you said you were i mean obviously most of the pictures that were being taken uh that you well obviously what sparked your interest was people taking camera like the camera well, cell phone camera photos and stuff like that i was thinking about Correct. as you were saying that i was thinking about geez and amber you had one of these too and i always cite the the old school sony mavica you, you had one of those too no didn't you? i did not have one i had one you had one i had one from the that was like from around 2000 that you put a floppy in <laughs> you put a you put a yeah you put a two and a half inch floppy in um Holds like three photos. <laughs> Obviously, your your statement on you know cell phone cameras in 2011, which was over a decade ahead, still were not that great. 
I so you're using professional equipment to do this. I mean, obviously. I mean, do you think? I guess a question I have for you now in 2021, which is another decade ahead now, do you think cell phone cameras have gotten to a point now where, the, at least, I'm, and I'm talking from a quality standpoint as far as resolution and stuff like that, do you think that they are are getting close to? what an actual analog camera captures or has always captured? Do you think it's the same quality? Yes, I think they're getting close to it. Not uh, not quite up there with it, but they're getting close to it. And so lately, and this is, this is with the iPhone 11, I have had a great deal of success just with uh, spontaneously taking photos when when I felt that uh, the conditions were good and I've gotten some pretty good ghost photos just on the iPhone 11. iPhone 11. So people, you are, yes. you are using that in the right conditions. It sounds like, correct? Correct. Cool. Yes. Um, you were talking to, we, we discussed conditions via email and that's one thing I did want to chat with you about. And I want to make sure I word this correctly. Uh, also, if I, if I word it incorrectly, call me on it. I'm perfectly fine with that because um, obviously, as we said, the book is the first book was Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, with breakthrough ghost photography. I guess the, you know that's kind of an interesting term, breakthrough ghost photography. Um, I know, but we just also mentioned correct conditions too. So, our I guess my question for you, when it comes to this term, breakthrough ghost photography, and correct conditions. Are they kind of two ideas that are married together when it comes to capturing photos or capturing ghosts on photo? No, no. Let's discuss breakthrough before we go to the conditions. Okay. And breakthrough, breakthrough was my publisher's idea, and that was because, you know, after I started getting these ghost photos, oh, I thought, well surely I'm late in the game with this. Surely there's somebody else out there that's already done it that I could, that I could look up on the internet and perhaps get some pointers with on how I can become better at it. And I wasn't finding that person. I wasn't finding people that had uh, taken thousands and thousands of photographs and, and pretty much had uh, tried to figure out the best types of conditions for that. And so he's, felt that the word breakthrough was appropriate mm -hmm. since there was nobody else out there doing what I was doing, which was basically a photo study of one particular haunted area. Okay. So that's why that word was ticked. Mm -hmm. Now going to the conditions, let me first say that there are no guarantees in getting ghost photos. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you optimum conditions that you are likely, if there are ghost presence, to capture something on a camera. And uh, the moon has to do a great deal with it. Uh, the fuller the moon, and usually it needs to be out. In other words, uh, cloud cover does not work quite as well. And uh, I, I was wondering why the moon was so important to it, why they always showed up uh, so much more and so much better in my photographs when there was a full moon or nearly a full moon. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was that there was a study done by two Italian astronomers. And they were taking photographs of both the moon and the sun with gamma ray photography. Mm -hmm. And they discovered that 
the moon was brighter than the sun when they took their photos as far as gamma rays were concerned. Okay. And so I had to wonder if these gamma rays coming off the moon weren't somehow figuring into this equation of perhaps giving these ghosts, electromagnetic entities, more energy, perhaps enough energy to make an appearance, whereas without the moon, they weren't able to. So uh, the moon is one important factor. And another one that uh, I've discovered is thunderstorms. Before, during, and after, it's the chances of getting ghost photographs are much better. And Again, I'm assuming it's because of the positive and negative charges that are going through the atmosphere at the time of course, that yeah. enable these ghosts to make an appearance, and thus I'm able to photograph them. So those are the two uh, best determinants that I've found in taking better ghost photography. And those two both obviously are related. They're, we're, both, we're talking about energy. As you said, we're talking about total energy, which really makes a lot of sense. And I don't, I mean, Amber, I don't know if you've heard this idea before as far as optimum conditions like this. Have you ever heard anything about, about this before like this? I know when we started ghost hunting, like back in the early 2000s, that was something we always checked before we went out was the geomagnetics uh, storm levels. Uh, that was a Tom thing, wasn't it? It, it just, it, it yeah. was just what we did. And we yeah. looked at the weather and I, and I know that throughout the, the decades and in, in paranormal research that's always there's always been a correlation with weather and paranormal activity and seeing an increase in it in certain mm-hmm. certain times especially like with what uh tim said uh if ghosts are electromagnetic entities of some type um why wouldn't perhaps they, yeah. they need something more in the atmosphere to generate themselves or to just just be seen so it's a pot i yeah i definitely believe in atmospheric conditions when it comes to paranormal stuff i I guess one goofy question i'd have about this tim is i mean we all we both know that there are there's you know you have a cute little thunderstorm you have you know you may have just a short or you know very very mild rain you know and then you have some thunderstorms that are intense they're you know lots of lots of precipitation um and also of course maybe a lot more lightning a lot more thunder right i guess the, what i'm curious mm-hmm. about is in your experience that you've had now with this have you is i guess does it does it does it increase or decrease to a degree depending on the severity of the storm for example i mean that that's yes so i mean if you have a crazy yes. storm out there you're going to have more activity it sounds or you're going to you're going to capture more activity on film it sounds like Correct. absolutely and uh, let me add to this that uh, for uh, several years I lived in a very haunted house and uh, we had a infrared security camera aimed at the front and the back doors. And this thing was on all the time and there was a monitor in our kitchen. And uh, what I noticed in parallel with what you're talking about is that I would see orbs now, the house was haunted. I know this. It had a, a a Civil War ghost, and there was another man that was dressed in a suit that always was making his appearance. And the activity would amp up according to the severity of the thunderstorm. And uh, the, for the more severe storms, the orb activity was tremendous. It, 
at, they were flying all over the place. And another thing that I was recording was they would sometimes walk down the hallway or walk up the stairway, and there were two of them, and you could see the pixelated outlines of what appeared to be two human figures that were doing the walking. And so I would notice that that type of activity would always amp up, and it seemed like the orbs were flying faster, and uh, they were going... And, and before we get into uh, people that are going to be skeptic and try to debunk orbs, mm. I have to say that orbs inside the house were moving much faster than any type of an air current from, say, the air conditioner. Okay. And they would also make turns at odd angles, you know, like a, at a right angle. And you know that if uh, that's a piece of dust or a or a piece of moisture in the air, as yeah. some ghost hunters try to uh, debunk orbs with, that it's not going to make those types of turns in uh, mid-flight. So uh, I was recording that, and I had several of these videos that uh, I was going to use as evidence for some of my some of my thoughts, like I just explained. And unfortunately, the house with all of my videos and all of that camera equipment that I had at that present time that burned down and oh I lost all of that. Sorry to hear about that. That's exactly what um, I was going to ask you about when it, when it concerning orbs was because we, we all, we're all familiar with orbs. Uh, we're familiar with what, with, with what, um, you know, especially, and I mentioned my old Sony Maverica from back in the day and we would shoot, pictures in the dark and in, in old beat up buildings and we get all kinds of crazy orbs but they were clearly dust right uh however your situation mm -hmm. what i that's what i would I, you answered exactly what i was going to ask you know how did they move you know what do they look like uh and that, i guess that's that's one the question i do have too is what did they what, what was their appearance like were they were they translucent were they were they bright towards the center what did you notice um well, yes and yes. Some of them are very bright and a solid white color. Some mm -hmm. of them, now we're looking through an infrared camera, so I don't know if they really are, but they had a shade of pink to them. Mm -hmm. And others, which seemed to be weaker, were basically translucent, coming in either both white or a pinkish color. Okay. Way out there question for you. What? what Orbs have been a, a subject of debate for many, many years in this field. And I always like to ask people this question. And I'm sorry if we're going off script here a little bit, but uh, what do you think an orb could be? Because you're saying that you're seeing orbs and you were also seeing what could be apparitions, right? What do you think an orb actually right. is? I mean, I mean, I'm just curious. There's, really, there's no wrong answer to this. Uh, I'm just curious what your opinion is on what, what an orb may be. I think it's the concentrated energy of an, a former person or a, a ghost, whatever you want to call it. And when we, when we think about the apparitions showing up, I believe that they are nothing more than a hologram of what this person used to look like. Mm -hmm. And I think that they need energy sort of like what we were discussing before, you know, perhaps the moon and uh, the gamma ray energy that it's releasing or the uh, 
thunderstorms, the energy in the atmosphere, you know, something like that is what they use to create these holograms. Otherwise, I believe that the only way ghosts would appear would be as their former selves, if that's how they really looked in their present state. Mm -hmm. But I feel that in their present state, that they are in a small, concentrated form of electromagnetic energy, which is, of course, intelligent and holds thoughts and memories of the former person. And can make movements based on those thoughts and memories also. I mean, I, I mean, to, the way I look at it is, as, as a, you know, as just in, in this existence we're in right now as people, our movements, the decisions we make, the things we do, they're based on past experience, you know, and obviously the older you get, the more experience you have, the more, the, the more seasoned you are. So you may make decisions and move towards things differently than what a younger person would do, right? And I say sure. that as a very, sure. very deep way of saying you're, you're saying you're seeing orbs and they're making movements that obviously are not natural for something that's just being blown by the wind. I get that, right? But if it's an intelligent entity, if it's something intelligent, it's making that movement, it's going to make that quick turn or do something like that for a reason, I guess. And obviously... We don't know what the reasons are, um, but it's if it's an intelligent life form, let's say, or or just entity of spirit, soul, energy, um, it's going to make those it's going to make those turns and moves based on maybe even past experiences it had when it when that bit of energy was a person. I guess does that make sense, or am I just totally tripping out here? <laughs> sure, it, it it makes sense. And, and let me just add to that, that uh, the videos that I captured before of these orbs, what I did do just sort of to debunk the fact that people would say, oh, that's dust moving with the air currents inside your house, is I made note of where the air conditioner vents were mm -hmm. and how they were blowing. And what I made note of was the fact that these orbs would often move in the opposite direction of the circulation that was coming from that vent. So it was going against the current air movement in the room. And again, there were times when, like I said before, it was making odd angled movements that could not be made by a piece of dust or a droplet of moisture in the air. I mean, it sounds like it was going. To, they were going towards the vent, like upstream, so to say. I guess to what against the yeah, against yeah. what was the prevailing air current in the room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, saying obviously discussing orbs and things like this and stuff that you've seen. Um, obviously, life after death, and I think this is kind of the basis for a lot of this 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 field of study. Frankly, is I, I know when we were younger. That was literally, we literally had a mission statement, and it was our mission statement is to prove the existence of life after death, which we both know now. I know we started doing this actively 22 years ago now. Um, knowing that now, I would have never taken on something that huge. <laughs> it's a pretty huge idea. Like we're gonna pre pre we're gonna prove the existence of of life after death. Um, I, I, again, it's a matter of experience, I guess. Um, but as a result of your work, you say uh, that there's definitely life after death. 
Um, and I'd like to discuss this with you. I mean, as a result of the stuff that you've done so far, the, and you did say that you started out as a hard skeptic on this. Am I correct? Or, or, maybe, or maybe a skeptic. That, you that, are correct. Okay. So, I mean, the question, I what turned you around, I guess, as far as what you've been researching and studying now? The visual proof, the fact that I could photograph these spirits and uh, the fact that there were so many of them out there. And I, I've captured so many different types of uh, apparitions and, and all this variety. It just uh, reinforces the fact that I believe in life after death. And that doesn't ex- that doesn't include some of the other experiences that I have had since I started this paranormal odyssey. Can we t- can we talk about a couple of those experiences outside of the photography thing? Sure. Um, well, I-, I mentioned to you before about how my house burned down and I lost everything. And uh, at the time, I had one dog, a Siberian Husky, and I had two cats. And uh, those two cats would not come when uh, once we found out the house was burning. And the dog would readily come. Evidently, the cats ran and hid somewhere in the house. And see, we had a house that was uh, fairly new. And so it had the open concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, one dangerous thing about the open concept is that a fire can spread at a much greater speed than if the rooms were all individually blocked off. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I discussed this with the uh, the fire marshal that came after the fire was over, and she said that the uh, old homes that were cordoned off, and so there was no open concept, they usually take 20 minutes to be fully con- consumed or engulfed in fire. Mm-hmm. The new open concept homes are consumed in three minutes. My goodness. And so that's all the time we had. And the, the other irony is that everything seems to be flammable. Um, we had the vinyl siding on the house, very flammable. We had uh, curtains, carpet, the material on the couches. All of that is made with flammable material. And, and you would think that there would have been somebody, at least it uh, belongs to a fire department or research center somewhere that would say, you know, hey, we got to quit making these materials out of something that is so flammable. We need to make it fire retardant. Mm-hmm. But no, everything is so flammable. And so the, the three minutes, that, that's hardly time to think. Mm-hmm. You have to think, oh, oh my God, uh, I've got to get everybody out. First you think people, then you think pets, mm-hmm. and then you think uh, important things, documents, wallets, things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's there's hardly time to do any of that. Mm. Three minutes is not a lot of time at all. Nope. Yeah, and I I have thought about that often. You know, again, go a little under the weeds here. I've thought about that often. Well, and we both. I think I know the answer to this, and I'm sure you do too. Why do they make materials for your home out of material? <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, make furniture and stuff like that uh, uh, that's for your home out of materials 
that are extremely flammable? Well, we both know the answer. It's cheapest. To, that's the cheapest way to do it. Basically, it's the cheapest way to get it out there. And yeah, get it done. Uh, that's it. And which which makes so go ahead. So getting back to the story, the two cats that we had burned to death. Oh God! So uh, we were housed in um, the Red Cross. Put us up for one night in a local hotel, and then uh, we had insurance. So. That kept us in a hotel for a while, and we found a temporary place. And then a few months after that, a permanent place. Mm-hmm. And what started showing up at both the temporary place and the permanent place that we chose to live was these cats, uh-huh. the apparitions of these cats. And uh, I could see them. Uh, their fur was burnt on the ends and kind of clumped together. But otherwise, oh, also they were kind of translucent. You could see th- see through them, but at the same time, you could see them. Yeah. And uh, we would see these. Everybody in my family would see these cats. And another thing is that sometimes we would feel them rubbing up against our calves on our legs. And sometimes we would feel them jump up on our beds at night or in the early morning. And so that's uh, one of my first experiences with uh, something other than capturing photographs with, mm. were these cats. And uh, since I've had several other experiences, I've uh, at the haunted house, before it burned down, I actually put my arm through a ghost. And I knew that because it felt like I had stuck my arm into a deep freezer. Oh, wow. And uh, the... The uh, little hairs on my arm all stood straight up. I had the goose flesh, and uh, it was a a tremendously weird feeling that I felt. And I pulled my hand immediately back, but it still sent a chill all over my body. And uh, I've since uh, had other experiences, encounters with ghosts. I felt them on my neck. I've been uh, tapped by them as if they're trying to get my attention. I've uh, smelled different things in the air, depending on the place where I was at, that were indicative that there was some sort of an apparition nearby. Let me give you a couple examples. Mm -hmm. At uh, this one church that I went to that was built all the way back in the 18th century, it was the uh, one in Gloucester called Abingdon that uh, George Washington's grandparents went to. And he had been known to go there when he was visiting them um, several times. And so I was anxious to uh, see what I could find there. And myself and the guy that came with me were able to uh, smell this perfume in the air. And, of course, there were no women there wearing any of the perfume. And this was after the first frost. And so there were no flowers nearby that could give uh, a scent-like perfume, and yet we could smell this in the air right near us as if uh, this apparition was right by us. Um, Other things that I've smelled are uh, cigarette smoke. I've smelled both the much milder-smelling aroma of cigarettes from, say, the 18th century, and depending on the place. And I've also smelled the harsh smell of modern cigarettes with all the extra chemicals that they have in them. Mm. And uh, 
So the, those are some of the experiences. I've also been in a place, and by the way, I sent you a photograph of this place where there was a woman screaming, and we actually heard her scream three different times. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and that's one thing I do want to get to here also. You know, well, before we go on to that, you know, you, we're cat lovers here. So hearing that just, just kind of, ugh. But it, the thing that made me, what got me kind of thinking about other stuff with that was you said that you these cats came back and saw you and they visited you. Or they, or they were just being cats. They, they were just doing what they felt natural, not knowing. And that's, I guess, what the first thing I thought of was, do those well cats think differently than people i mean obviously as people we are some of us are obsessed with this concept of what death is and maybe what life after death is too obviously um mm-hmm. i don't know what cats think there's no way to really know what cats think i think they're they're not i mean do i i i would never want to go on record saying that well, we're cats are not nearly as intelligent as people because I, I don't believe that. I think they're intelligent in their own ways. Uh, I think we're just different, and we just we get, we're we're trying to communicate. We and cats do communicate with us and stuff like that. Uh, my my thought about that was, okay, so when you said you saw them, they looked like they were burnt a little bit, like they did they did, like when they crossed over, and now they're little cat spirits, right? Uh, yeah. They retained their appearance from when they may have crossed or passed over, right? Um, right. I found that right. that's intriguing. Like, okay, even as people, do we, you know, if, and it's kind of, I don't want to be grilled, but, you know, if you get into a nasty car crash, <laughs> is that how you wake up on the other side? Like, just, you know, beat up from being, you know, in a car crash? Uh, it's it's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily, and I mean, Everybody has their own opinion. You just wake up. I don't think personally you just wake up and you're this perfect celestial being. I, I think going over, whether you're a cat or a person or whatever it may be, um, you know, maybe the idea, and I've thought about this very often, uh, and we've always heard these terms like, well, you know, someday I'm going to be reincarnated as a, as a turtle or something like that. So yeah, I guess the idea I have about this is that, you know the standard grade A soul, spirit body, you know, piece of energy. It's it's the same no matter what. We all are our own individual entities uh, and bodies of energy, and maybe we do keep getting recycled and coming back. And then yeah, one time you are a you're a, you're a two legged human being, and next time around you're a cat. Next time around you're a dog. Whatever it might be, uh, and and but the the dying process is the same. And you do go over, right? And maybe you finally shed that appearance. I mean, and I mean, there's just, these are just just stream of consciousness ideas about this. But that's what your story about that got me thinking about was, you know, our spirits all the same, and we just kind of have different bodies if we if we keep coming back. It, it launches a whole bunch of questions, I guess. <laughs> and you don't have to answer all this stuff. It's more or less just statements I'm making. Uh, but is there anything anything in sure. there you keyed on? Yeah. Go ahead. Is there any what? Is there anything in there you keyed in on, though? I'm curious. Any ideas with that 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 that, that you have anything to say about? I guess. I'm I'm not so sure that all souls are equal in, in that way, but uh, you know, I've, I've heard of the reincarnation thought, and uh, I 
I think it's possible that we may build up to becoming human, but I also believe that during that time that there is a growing process where we mature as as an intelligent being. And so unless we really mess up as a human being, I'm not so sure that uh, we could come back as a as an entity that's lesser on a lesser level than say human being you understand what i'm saying I, I it's totally a progression do. i would feel that's fascinating a progression up go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt so you. i i i believe we're on an upward movement in if there is multiple lifetimes then it's 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 a progression where we improve each time and we come back as that improved soul or being that is a fascinating idea, and it just you work your way up the ladder, so to say. You initially start as maybe something like a grasshopper, uh, you know, that don't have a very long lifespan, and then you come back as, uh, I mean, a frog <laughs> or some, or a squirrel. I mean, you, more or less, that's kind of the idea. I think that you're you're postulating is um, you just work your way up the evolutionary ladder. Uh, until you become this two-legged human that we consider top of the food chain here. Um, and one thing you said, I think, that's super interesting, Tim, is, you know, you can mess up as a human really bad. Well, I think that's the the, the big challenge of being human is this idea uh, of free will, that it's up to you to do the right things or what, you know, or be productive or do good things but you also have the freedom to be a complete screw up if you want also when it comes to being the top of the food chain like this you you follow what i'm saying i do uh, it's 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 a it's a challenge so I, I think it's i think it's our responsibility to try to be the best type of person that we can um tim i got a question cuz one of the things in the paranormal that's people are the most skeptical about are obviously ghost photography so when you take photos, how do you debunk yourself? How do you look at something and determine that you feel that that is something or, oh, you know what, that was the lens refracting off of this or whatever, that's nothing. Kind of, how do you, what kind of sliding scale do you use to, you know, I guess come to the conclusion that your photos might be something other than uh, just run-of-the-mill stuff? Um, first off, I take people on tours here in Colonial Williamsburg, and what I try to do is I teach them how to take ghost photography, and that said, I will explain some of these things, and uh, usually because, not because I believe so, but because there's so much skepticism, mm -hmm. I don't go with orbs, and I will tell them why, and uh, I will also try to tell them that when you look at the building that you just photographed or, or the streets or wherever it was that you were photographing, you look at the photograph and then you try to look at the area to see where you see, think you see something paranormal and, and decide that could that be something that I'm misconstruing as paranormal when it's really there and it's a different reflection of light through the camera lens. 
And I, I go through this all the time. And I've got to also say that I dismiss hundreds of photos because I know that if a skeptic looks at it, that uh, they could say, ah, that's not really nothing. Or uh, the standard saying is pareidolia. Right. And, and, uh, and because of that, this is another thing that uh, I wanted to emphasize. What I'm doing, because there are so many people that immediately dismiss my photographs as something construed in Photoshop, is I'm building a small army of people that I've taught myself how to capture ghost photos, and they've been successful. And I've got over 100 people now, and uh, They've sent me their photos, and I regularly publish them on my website so that other people can say, well, you know, if it's one person, you could say, oh, Photoshop. But if it's over 100 people, then you can't just dismiss it as easily as that. And so that's what I'm trying to do, get uh, a large group of people that have captured the same types of apparitions in their cameras, and again carefully examining the area around that they photograph to make sure that they're not misconstruing some object that's reflecting light differently as paranormal when it really isn't. And if it, if it looks like a person and that's another thing, you always have to make sure that there are no living people that uh, you could have taken a photograph, particularly if it's at nighttime or in, in poor visibility and uh, you have to make sure that there isn't anything that can be misconstrued. And if there is not, then I would say that it's going to be paranormal. How often on the tours do people get photos that are very similar to someone on a tour a month ago and they get an entity or, or an apparition that shows up that you're like, holy cow, that looks like, you know, the same person that... Just about every night. Wow. Just about every night. So the, that would be a fun thing to observe, I think, because you, you have this luxury of being on these tours nightly and observing this. And I think that'd be kind of a cool thing as a paranormal investigator to kind of always get to see this and gather this data sort of while you work, which is nice, too. <laughs> well, here's my invitation to you. You're more than welcome to come down and observe, and I will give you pointers, and I will show you where I got my photos, and uh, take your chances and take some photos and uh, see what you can come up with. And I can guarantee that just about uh, every week, except uh, for the winter months when I don't, I don't really have any clientele, but just about every week, I get somebody that has gotten a really good ghost photo. And usually it's every night. Now, sometimes they're not always as clear as I would like that. Just last night, there is a, a person on my tour. Was, uh, he was there with his uh, about 10-year-old girl, and he was... Uh, taking photos of all the places and he captured a floating head that was as clear as day. It was the Ooh. best photo on, on the whole tour and everybody was ooing and awing. And see, that's what I tell people. I said, nothing is going to make you believe in my photos more than if you get your own photo. 
And so that's my goal tonight. So please take photos. And uh, that was more than enough to convince everybody on that tour last night that you can get ghost photos. And yes, there are ghosts out there to be photographed. Well, we mentioned earlier in the show that uh, photography has come a long way when it comes to just everyone's cell phones in their pockets. Smart. We should say smartphones. Smartphones, whatever. I mean, it's a phone now. But it's recently, I think it was Joe Rogan that had posted this on Instagram. And I was like, oh, my God. You can take a photo of the moon with the latest galaxy. That's crazy. I think you can do it with the latest iPhone, too. But... It's just that to me that is so bonkers that this little device in your hand can take a picture, craters and all, of the moon. So when we have this kind of technology and it's in the hands of a ton of people now, I think over the course of the next two to three decades, we're going to see a lot more interesting things popping up in people's photos, whether it's well, ghost related, or not too. whether it's... Uh, cryptid related if it's uh i think even in the ufo world you're going to have a lot more anomalous stuff get filmed because you also have a video camera in your pocket something that we didn't have long ago yeah absolutely and going along those same lines uh, I, i got a fantastic photo of a ufo right outside my plane as we were flying out to the southwest oh cool and uh I took a total of three photos, and what what I was taking a photo was the sunset from the plane, which was absolutely beautiful. And in the first, and only the first out of the three photos that I captured was this rather large uh, white cylindrical object that uh, you could identify as a UFO. And what was interesting was that in addition to that, that larger UFO, there were multiple orbs in and around it. Hmm. And in the very next photo that I took, and they were right in succession. So they were within seconds of each other. Everything was gone in the next two photos. Did you see anything with your with your own eye when you or did nope. the, okay? Not then you just a, saw that in the photo. Thing. Okay. That's that's so trippy. Well you mentioned I have in my notes here that some of in some of your photos, the apparitions look completely alien to this world. Do you yeah, think that, that you too. have captured something that's not, you know, always the traditional human being spirit? That you could be getting something else yeah. that's either in another dimension, an ultra terrestrial, you know, all these different fun things that are out there, but just not human. Absolutely, I do, and. I don't believe I sent you any, but I'd be more than happy to send you some of them. And I'm sure that you would corroborate with me that, uh, yeah, they don't look quite human. In fact, one recent one, and I published this on my blog, looks like a, uh, what they would call a small gray with a large Mm, head and uh, large eyes. And he was on the streets of Williamsburg And, and, you know, I'm here expecting to see 18th century ghosts. And what do I find? walking on the street, but, but a uh, gray that looks futuristic and alien. Mm. That, totally unpredictable. That that kind of stuff. Like, th- to me nowadays, like, that stuff freaks me out more if I were to get a photo and I'm on a historic ghost tour, and I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I have an extraterrestrial in mind. Like, <laughs> it keeps I want that. It keeps driving that point home that I, the longer we go down this path with, and with all these different 
silos of study, whether it be cryptids or or UFOs or or ghost photography. Uh, and I've been saying this, and I keep saying it every week on this show until we never do this thing ever again. Is how this stuff may all be related, and that's one big question I have. And um, what you're presenting, uh, Tim, is very interesting because it just just to think about that that opens up a whole new world of possibilities that you know it may be one universe it may be just one big giant ball of energy we're a part of and the grays let's say they may be just as part of that just as part of it as we are they're no different they 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 may have a soul like we do uh and i mean that's a lot of assumptions i know but it it's a very fascinating idea to be talking about aliens in historic ghost fo- well at least photos you're trying to take of historic places and stuff like that i think that's a fascinating idea let's look at a couple well, of these go, you, go ahead go ahead, go ahead. I, I gotta tell you while you're talking about that while you're saying that exact same thing mm-hmm. if you ever look at uh paranormal researcher professor john mack from harvard oh, university yeah, yeah, i'm familiar with him and all of the stuff that he wrote that was one of his conclusions that all of this stuff we're talking ghosts, we're talking cryptids, we're talking aliens, whom I might add, a lot of people refer to as extra-dimensional beings. Right. Yep. So that being said, who knows if the uh, ghosts from humans, all, all of these don't go to this extra dimension where these aliens are. Yeah. So he's one of the first people that I've ever heard state that all of this stuff is interrelated. Ultra-dimensional, we talked to. Yeah, you said that a minute ago, Amber, and I've always liked that term, ultra-dimensional. Um, John Keelian. Yeah, John, Keel. John Keelian, yeah. Very Keelian. Uh, let's look at a couple of photos before we call it a night here. Um, I really, I've been looking forward to this, Tim. Uh, and per our conversation on email, I'm going to give you the name, and we're, we're actually looking at them here you know, in the studio. Well, one question I had for you, Tim, if you don't mind, I didn't want to put you on the spot here. Uh, we'll be, are you okay with us putting these up on our website when we post the show up? It's kind of a guide for people, yeah. obviously, to, you know, to look at. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, the first one that I actually pulled up here is called Boxwood Inn, uh, classic white. And... I mean, we're looking at this right now. Did you want to walk us through this or talk us through this? How do you want to do that? Yeah, that one has a great story behind it. Um, see, the manager of that place, she asked me to come down and uh, see if I could photograph any of the ghosts that they felt were there. And uh, not only that, but give a book presentation to a a bus tour that was there that particular evening. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. Mm-hmm. And so that said, I went down and I was taking photos of uh, just about everywhere, every corner in the, in that place. And meanwhile, the uh, bus tour people are in the hallway in the lower dining room while I'm upstairs and they're all talking with each other. And the manager is talking with them too. And so I photographed uh, that from above, from the second floor. I photographed down the stairway into the hallway, and I captured the manager speaking with this large group of people that were on the bus tour. Mm -hmm. So when uh, I got the, the photo home and I looked at it closely, there was an apparition there. It was 
white and ephemeral, sort of like a uh, classic Halloween type of ghost. Yeah. And very blurry. You couldn't make anything out on its face. So I knew there was a ghost there, but, you know, it would be impossible to identify, or so I thought. So I, I looked at it very closely, and I discovered that the leg, lower leg and the shoe were part of that apparition. And so although the upper body and the face was not discernible, you could tell that this was a more modern ghost because it had what looked like a tennis shoe to me. Yeah, I'm seeing that. And so this apparition was standing right next to the manager. So I went down the next week after I had downloaded these photos and I I printed up a few of the photos so that she could look at them herself. And I pointed out this apparition and I said, uh, it looks like you have a fairly modern ghost because of that tennis shoe right there. And I was curious and, and that was kind of a hint, you know, has anybody died here recently? Because all the stories of the ghosts that haunt that place are from a century or two ago. And so she looked at it and I said, look at the tennis shoe. And she looked at it and she got tears in her eyes and she said, that's not a tennis shoe. And that kind of floored me because it sure looked like a tennis shoe to me. Mm. And uh, she kind of choked for a minute. So I let her get her composure. And then when she got that, she uh, replied to me, that's my son's work shoe. Oh. He died 10 years ago to the day that you took that photograph. Oh. And so that really floored me. And uh, if, as if that weren't enough to convince me, she said, I still have those shoes upstairs under my bed. And she went up and got them. And we were able to match the shoe in the photograph to the shoe that um, was her son's favorite work shoe that uh, he wore all the time whenever he was working with her. See, wow. he was a, uh, this is a bed and breakfast, and he was a chef there. So he was working in the kitchen all the time whenever she was having these tours and such. And he was in his early 40s and evidently had uh, some sort of heart trouble. And it was totally unexpected. You know, you don't expect somebody that young to uh, just drop over dead, but evidently that's what happened. And so uh, that was a total shock to her that he up and died that that way. And uh, she had never really gotten over his death. And so it just happened to be that 10 years to the day later, I was there and happened to photograph an apparition with a shoe that looked exactly like her son. And that was a big comfort to her to let her know that, uh, he was, his soul was still living on. And that at that point mm -hmm. he was right next to her. Heavy, very heavy. Um, next one we're looking at Banbury hunt club. Um, I don't want to, uh, is that enough for you? <laughs> That's enough. Okay. That's all I need. All right. So the Banbury Hunt Club was a hunt club that's about 30 minutes outside of Williamsburg in the middle of nowhere, I might add. And uh, that's good for hunters, but uh, 
because the place it did not have any type of intriguing haunting or story other than one of the guys seeing a lady in white there, I wasn't so anxious to go out and photograph it. But because the guy who was a member of the club was also my friend, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go out and uh, photograph the area. And what he wanted me to look for was the lady in white that he had seen several times when he stayed there. You know, they slept there at night and they would get up early on Saturday or Sunday morning and go out hunting or fishing mm-hmm. at, in the uh, property surrounding their hunt club. So I went there with him and I was photographing the whole area. And what was interesting is that when we first went there, I photographed the outside windows and doors as we were going in and up I saw a few male faces in the windows, but unfortunately I didn't capture the lady in white that he was so interested in finding. So I I went home, I downloaded the images to my computer and uh, I sent him a couple of the faces that I'd captured in the windows. And then I apologized to him because I thought I had failed. I thought that uh, the primary goal was to get, the lady in white that he had seen there and I didn't get that. So I apologized. And I said, I'm sorry, Kenny, the only faces that I captured there were uh, these three male faces. And the one that you're looking at was the first male face that I captured as we walked into the door. And just, he must've been on Facebook at that time because he, messaged me instantly or almost instantly back and it's the message said omg that was my best friend oh my goodness and that kind of floored me and then uh in uh, subsequent messages what he ended up telling me was that uh, his best friend who was also a member of the hunt club and loved that place had died uh, almost uh, a couple decades before at the local hospital and uh, evidently you don't stay as a spirit where you die. Like some people think his spirit evidently moves to the place that he loved, which was that hunt club. And he was looking at his best friend and myself as we walked into that hunt club and he was right there in that window. And it just kind of floored him that, uh, that was his best friend that he missed so badly. And, uh, we verified that, uh, yeah, he's at the hunt club now. Antelope Canyon is what I'm looking at right now. Can we talk about this one for a second? Okay. So we were out in, um, page Arizona on the Navajo reservation going through Antelope Canyon, which is one of the most photographed, slot canyons in the world it's beautiful it's got uh, gold and uh, purple and black sandstone and it's been carved by thousands or millions of years of uh, water erosion and so that said i was there strictly to get the beauty of the canyon i was not there to capture anything paranormal uh-huh. and Instead of just getting the beauty of the canyon, I've got several photos, including the one that I sent you, with ghost faces in them. Now, uh, you'll notice they're kind of a bluish white, so 
totally opposite of what the surrounding sandstone looks like. Yeah. And, and right before I captured them, I felt, now let me preempt this with the fact that the temperature that day, this was a typical Arizona hot summer day was in the uh, teens. So it was, you know, like 115, something like that. So it was 115 outside and uh, there were a lot of people in that slot canyon. And so it was just as hot and stuffy in there as it was out in the um, full sun. And I felt an icy wind pass by me right before I took that photograph. And when I took the photograph, I saw these uh, small bluish white faces in the background. And uh, yeah, when, once I downloaded it to my computer and looked closely at it, it was multiple faces. So I did some research on Antelope Canyon, and what I found out was a few decades ago, they had a European group there. There was uh, 11 people plus a tour guide, an Navajo tour guide, that were uh, taking them through the canyon. And it had rained. There was a cloudburst about 50 miles away. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with... Uh, the desert areas and what happens when cloudbursts strike, but the, um, what happened was that the, uh, cloudburst created a flood because the water doesn't absorb into the sand of the desert readily. Yeah. It kind of, uh, flows off of it. And uh, it uh, created a wall of water that flew down that, that canyon that was over 10 feet high. And so it uh, washed away these European tourists, and every one of them lost their lives, with the exception of the Navajo guide. But he was pretty, pretty badly injured. Um, he was, uh, his body was banged up against the sandstone walls, and it looked like... Uh, he had been sandpapered. And so uh, being the only survivor, he, he told the story about that. And uh, what was interesting was that uh, I was able to capture what may have been those European tourists' faces in, um, in that area as I was photographing the canyon. It's a beautiful picture. I mean, I mean excluding... Uh the paranormal aspects of a photo. It's really a gorgeous looking photo. That's what struck me when I looked at it initially. But when you do look at it, you do see things in there. Uh, fascinating. Let's do one more. Uh, I'm going to call up the one. I'm just going to call. Oh, that's spooky. I want that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Crawford Road is what we're looking at right now, Tim. Can we talk about this one for a minute? Absolutely. That one was uh, one that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And uh, this purportedly one of the most haunted roads in the country. Now, let me give you, give you a little bit of background on that. The place around that road, back in the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Yorktown, it was occupied by French forces, and there were French soldiers that died in and around that area during the Battle of Yorktown. Then we come uh, a few years later to 1862, and Yorktown was again being sieged, this time by the Union Army during the Civil War. And so there were Union 
soldiers that died on that property took. Then after the Civil War, the KKK is supposed to have uh, lynched some uh, African-American people along that road. And then recently, and I'm talking about the last 30 or 40 years, that road has been a site because it's out in the middle of nowhere that has been used as a site for drug deals. And there have been at least four or five people that have been murdered on that road. Oh my goodness. So with all that historical background and uh, a good reason why it might be haunted, there is one bridge on that road and they call it Crybaby Bridge. And the story is that there was a young woman that was being forced to marry a man that she did not love. And uh, sometimes the story has a baby in it. It was her child. Sometimes it's just her running away from a marriage. But uh, if the baby is included in the story, she is said to have thrown the baby off of the bridge and the baby is to died at the base of the bridge and they call it cry baby bridge because you can hear the baby crying on some nights. But when I went there knowing these stories and they said that after she threw the uh, baby over the edge of the bridge, that uh, she tied a rope up to the top railing and jumped off and hung herself. Okay. And so some people have seen this, this woman hanging from the bridge as they drive up and down this road. And purportedly, if you uh, go through and you stop near the bridge, your car will not start again. And I've had several people to verify this. The battery will completely drain. And sometimes the car, if it's right under the bridge, they will also... It, they will feel a thump on the roof as if a body had dropped on it. So yeah. those are the stories. And when I went there, I was photographing the area and I captured that uh, gentleman that you see in the photograph. And if you look at the dress, particularly the, the uh, collar on the shirt and the tie, it looks like late 19th century. Yeah. Very I'm pronounced quite, collar. I can't say for definite sure, but uh, that's what I would project it as. But uh, right after I took that photograph, that was the clearest one that I captured any uh, human-like apparitions. Um, myself and uh, two other guys that were with me, we heard uh, a woman, it sounded like she was running and screaming but it wasn't on the ground that we could hear this. It sounded like it was up in the trees. In the first scream, uh, it really alarmed us, and we started looking all around, and by the second scream, we could tell that it wasn't on the ground, and it couldn't possibly be a human that was making that cry. And what it sounded like in the third scream is as if she had been getting captured by somebody. Yeah. And so what we theorized uh, from just the sound of the, uh, the voice that she didn't hang herself, that we felt that from the sound that we had just experienced, that she was captured by someone and hung by them. And uh, that was the first time that I ever heard a 
vocalization coming from any type of a ghost and and it sent chills down my spine as well as to the two other guys that were with me because uh, it just sounded so loud and so profoundly urgent and yet we were helpless because there was absolutely nothing that we could do yeah that's that's the other ugly side of this i think is that feeling of helplessness helplessness if you're experiencing something like this and just this photo alone too um it does it, it is kind of a chilling photo i mean this this gentleman the 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 face they, they don't look happy <laughs> that's all i can say about it. they don't look happy uh it is a chilling no, photo not. Tim, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us here tonight. It was really awesome. We'd love to do it again sometime, too. Um, and where can everybody find yeah. your books at? Yes. And get, how can they get on one of your tours? Um, first off, the books are on the Schiffer, that's S-C-H-I-F-F-E-R website. You can get them there, or you can go on to Amazon and get them there. Yep. And uh, if if you find difficulty uh, finding them, just type in my name. It's Tim, and my last name is Skull Lion. So just remember, Skull with a C, Lion. Yeah. That's yeah. how you spell it. And uh, you'll be able to come up with uh, the Breakthrough his Ghost Photography books, uh, the ones that I have written. And uh, the name of my ghost tour here in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, is Ghostographer Tours. So replace photographer with ghost, and you get ghostographer, and uh, that's the tours that I try to teach people how to take spirit photography and uh, give them pointers, and uh, that's also where uh, I take them around and show them a lot of my photos on a large Samsung Galaxy, and so... uh, yeah, everybody's invited to come to Williamsburg and to uh, learn how to take photographs of ghosts. We'll make sure we put all those links on the website too, including the you know the, where the books are available at. Also, again, Tim, thank, thank you, thank you so much for taking this time. We really appreciate it. All right, it was great talking with you, Scott, and you too, Amber. Ghostly talk. <laughs> <laughs>